I hope you're a hard worker. I've said many times Christian people should be known where they work as the best worker at the place where they work. If I were to go to the place you work tomorrow and say, who's the best worker here? Would they point to you and say, that Christian over there? I hope so. Labor is an intriguing thing, and Paul talks about it here, and we're going to take a look at it here and try and develop a biblical mindset or a biblical attitude about work. And go to work tomorrow with an attitude that God actually is pro-work and God rewards your work and He notices your work and God help us to have a biblical attitude about our work. The Bible says that the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation. Welcome to Pulpit Power featuring Pastor Tony Skeving, Senior Pastor of Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. Today's message was previously preached before a church audience. And now, here's Pastor Skeving. Let's take our Bible squeeze at this time and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Actually, we've been in this book, started a little series here, but there was something we covered last Sunday. I don't know if you remember it or not, but we saw a couple of expressions. One was the work of faith, and the other was the labor of love. And both of those make reference to work or labor as it were. And we're at a time of the year when folks are probably putting in extra time at work or maybe taking a much-needed, much-deserved vacation. So I'm going to be talking about labor and work tonight, but not in a spiritual sense, but your secular work or a, a work ethic, if you will. And we're going to kind of jump ahead a little bit in this book we're in right now, but in First Thessalonians chapter 2, notice with me, if you would, verse number 9. Paul says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail, for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. I'm going to talk about that laboring and that travailing and all that work that Paul was talking about as, as we discuss a biblical attitude about work. What should our attitude be, according to the Bible, about this subject of work? Let's pray before we begin. Lord, as we look into thy word tonight, in these next moments, in this brief Bible study, I just pray that you would uh, challenge us and, Lord, that you would encourage us that there is something spiritual even about our secular work, our jobs, our, our homemaking. Father, we just pray now that you would help us to realize the importance of, of that labor. It truly is a labor of love. And dear Lord, that we'd give it our best. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Paul mentioned something here. And if you don't read between the lines, you might not understand what he's talking about. But in verse 9, he says, You remember, brethren, talking to these folks in the local church of Thessalonica, he says, You remember, brethren, our labor and our, our travail for laboring night and day. Paul talks about working round the clock and preaching by day and maybe working a secular job by night. How many of you know what Paul actually did on the side? We know him as an evangelist, as a church planner, maybe even a pastor at one time. But every Jewish young man had to receive some kind of training in a certain vocation, a trade, an occupation, and had to have a certain skill. And Paul, as a little lad, maybe even raised in the synagogue, learned a trade, and it was tent making. 
If you read over in Acts 18, we won't turn there, but he, he goes from Athens to Corinth and he arrives in town and he finds an Aquila and Priscilla and they're all working together in the same trade. The Bible says they were tent makers. That was a good thing to have back in those days. And so Paul had a trade and, and Paul got supported, no doubt, by some local churches, but we know there were times when it lapsed. Maybe the mail didn't catch up as it were and they didn't have UPS and FedEx in those days and so uh, he had to work a little on the side. And we find when he got to Thessalonica, he labored around the clock, no doubt preaching and doing Bible studies during the day, meet with folks in the synagogue and such. But at night, he worked to support himself and maybe the little traveling Bible college that he had with him there. He was a hard worker. I hope you're a hard worker. I've said many times Christian people should be known where they work as the best worker at the place where they work. If I were to go to the place you work tomorrow and say, who's the best worker here? Would they point to you and say, that Christian over there? I hope so. I hope so. Now, we spend a lot of time in our life working. And I'm talking about our jobs. If you work a 40-hour week and you add it times or times it 52 times, you've got about 2,080 hours. So let's just round it off to 2,000 hours. If you start uh, even in, a, in, in your money-making vocation at age 25 and you retire at 65, you're going to put in somewhere around 80,000 hours of work. So you spend a good percentage of your life actually working. The word labor speaks of a physical toil or a, a mental toil, if, it, if you will, but it's an employment, uh, it's an effort, it's industrious, it's, it's exerting yourself, and it, it requires really a, a putting out of yourself to do it. And you're going to do that for many years. I think it was Robert Frost who said if a man works faithfully eight hours a day, he might eventually get to be a boss and work 12 hours a day. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> How many of you can relate to that? Uh, you'll have to put in more time. He said that time in cheek, and it's, it's humorously uh, true, but labor is an intriguing thing, and Paul talks about it here, and we're going to take a look at it here and, and try and develop a biblical mindset or a biblical attitude about work. Let's take a look at, first of all, what we, we call the biblical mandate involving work. God has given you the ability to do something. It comes with your soul. Think about the, the fact that you have a propensity to do what you do. And not everybody does what you do well. And there are folks, I just step back and I marvel that they, they do something like, you know, crunch numbers all day and, and add things and it all comes together at the end of the day. And, or they have another skill or, and maybe it's a sales skill, maybe it's a blue collar skill. But that's your soul. That's what God made you to do. And, and think of it, if everybody did the same thing, uh, who would do the rest of the jobs? So it's that variety that makes the world go around, as it were, and, and the soul that you have, and God gave you that to fulfill a certain thing. So you're really a steward in a sense, and, and you are to be fulfilling God's role for your life, doing what he made you to do, but doing it with zeal. I think of Vince Lombardi many times who had an expression he, he said to his players, the coach of the Packers back in the 60s, he said, if you're not fired with enthusiasm, you will be fired with enthusiasm. Follow him? He will gladly fire you. And so we ought to do what we do with all our heart. And the Bible does say that in Ecclesiastes. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might. Now, if you flip over to Second Thessalonians chapter 3, just a few pages forward, we find there's a biblical mandate to work. It's not just a, a recommendation. It's a mandate. It's a command. 
And we're going to look at some strong wording here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And it's not really uh, politically correct in the day and age in which we live. But let's, let's see what God has to say about this business of laziness and sitting around and collecting a check and so on and so forth. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and in verse number 6, Paul says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly, and not after the tradition which you received of us. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught or nothing, but wrought, that means worked, with labor and travail night and day. Notice that expression again that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Not because we have not power, but to make ourselves, notice, an example unto you to follow us. For even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. Wow. That's pretty strong, isn't it? And that would eliminate a lot of folks sitting around. If they got hungry enough, that would be an incentive. If a man will not work, neither shall he eat. In other words, if you want it bad enough, <laughs> you'll work for it. Back in World War II, we needed some things produced, and uh, we were kind of running out of workers and production here stateside. And so we found out that we could kind of export some of our work down to Panama, and there were folks down there that needed work, and we needed stuff produced for the war effort. And so we sent our, our raw materials down there. We set up the factories, and we found the workers, and, and, and they went to work, but we found to our dismay that they would only work a couple, three days a week and, and get their paycheck and then just, woohoo, that's enough money for now. And they wouldn't work even a 40-hour week. They, they were content to just kind of put food on the table and a roof over their head and, and whatever else. And, of course, we were f flustered by that and, and uh, found out that they just weren't going to work anymore because they didn't need any more. Somebody had the idea to send down there some Sears and Roebuck catalogs. And to take those folks through those catalogs and let them see what they could have if they only had more money. And let them ooh and awe ah over one page after the other. And it did the trick. Problem solved. <laughs> they went back to work because they wanted it bad enough. You know, folks, if you want it bad enough or if you're hungry enough, as it were, in this passage, you'll work. You'll work. Now, that's an incentive, really, to do what God created us to do. It's funny how God gives us taste buds and hunger pains and, 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 and the desire to eat. And after you eat, the one meal doesn't do it because several hours from now you'll need to eat again and so on. And, and God is pro-work. And that's really the way you're going to eat is by working. We find way back in the beginning in Genesis 3.19, God says, In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. By the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread. So work is God-ordained. And really, let me just say this. It would eliminate a, a lot of bad character if, if we have a good work ethic. A, a, a person can be lacking in talent and looks and money and charisma and whatever else might be PR skills. But if they're a hard worker, you really know a lot about their character from that one factor alone. And also, hard work will keep you out of trouble. And the old expression is true, isn't it? Idle hands are the devil's workshop. We find in verse number 10, Paul says, For even when we were with you this, we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we here 
that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. You know, a lot of people get into a lot of trouble because they're not working. They're busybodies. I've said, you know, ladies, thank God for the, the calling of being a, a, a homemaker, but it's called housework, and it's a work that needs to be done. And, and, and when a wife is neglecting her calling, there are going to be problems. We find that addressed over in Titus chapter 2 and verse 5, that gals are to be discreet, chaste, notice keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. There's plenty to do, gals, raising those kids and mentoring the next generation and, and getting them through those, those years of perhaps homeschooling and, and also upkeeping the house and walking with God at the same time. And, and that is a big job. There's no time for doing the things that shouldn't be done, for being on the phone or, or being on the Internet or not keeping the house, as it were. And uh, work eliminates a lot of problems. And, and the Bible even gives us examples of hardworking gals, doesn't it? I think Abigail is one of the, the greatest gals in the Bible. She's just such a hard worker. I, I think of Ruth in the same way. She was such a hard worker. I think of the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, she was such a hard worker. And truly, work will keep us out of sin, but idleness can lead to sin, and God knows that. We find in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, turning back a few pages, notice this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in verse number 11. It says in that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands, Paul says, as we commanded you. It's a mandate. This is not a request. As we commanded you. He's not making a recommendation here. We see it's the biblical mandate for God's people to be workers. And, and the sin of, of idleness is really contrary to the apostles' commands, and it's also Contrary to the apostles' example, if you really follow the life of Paul, you know that he was a worker. We read this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 10. He says, "In his grace, God's grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Sounds like he's bragging. He's quick to add, it wasn't me, it was God's grace. But, but Paul, born late, if you will, spiritually speaking, and probably uh, somewhat uh, feeling guilty over the death of Stephen and other things he did as a lost man, is trying to make up now for that lost time. And he tells us here, I labored more abundantly than them all. He was a hard worker. And by the way, that perhaps kept Paul out of trouble. You know, we find that the Jews, as they're, want, as they're working in Egypt in bondage and slavery, sounds to us like a hard thing and a, an awful thing. And it, it was. There's no question about that. But through all that work there, they, they never really got into any kind of trouble. We read in Deuteronomy 26 and verse number 7. It says, And when we cried unto the Lord God of our fathers, the Lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression. But after they got out of that slavery and they got out into the desert, that's when the trouble began. That's when the complaining started. That's when all the murmuring, the backbiting, the wanting to go back to Egypt and all that thing because they had too much time on their hands. The exodus really was only designed to take a few weeks and they were going to be in there and fight in the battles and so on, but it didn't work out that way. They got out in the desert and they got into trouble because they had 
too much time on their hands. One of the reasons, no doubt. Idle hands are the devil's workshop. You know, every invention the past 150 years or 200 years has been designed to give us more time, to make life easier, to give us more free time, if you will. All these, all these things that have been invented since the days of the prairie, you would think uh, would just uh, give us all this more time. And as a result, we'd be happier, but we're not. We'd be more spiritual, but we're not. You know, I was talking to an old-timer years ago, and I said back when they had the ringer washing machines and the clotheslines and, and, you know, they didn't have microwaves and electric ovens and they had ice boxes and some of those things. He said, really, our objective in those days was survival. I mean, just to get the crop in and the crop out and, and the cows milked and, and the, the, the chickens butchered and the food on the table and ready for the winter and, and wood chopped. And, and he, he said, really, it was enough for us just to survive. We didn't have any extra time. And you know something as you look back, and some of you remember those days better, the morals were so much better, weren't they? The morals were so much better back in those days. Idleness leads to laziness, which can often lead to sinfulness. And we read over in Proverbs 21, 25, the desire of the slothful killeth him, for his hands refuse to labor. The desire of the soul, it just eats him up for his hands refuse to labor. You know that back in the 1800s, they worked Monday through Saturday. It was a six-day work week. You know that in our lifetime, I have no question about this, we'll see a four-day work week. It, it just keeps getting cut back. And, and, and the Sabbath, <laughs> uh, the one-day Sabbath now just keeps expanding to two days and eventually three days. You know, there was a, a proprietor a business owner back in 1872 by the name of Zachary Geiger. And he had these workplace rules for his employees. And I'll read them to you. The first one says office employees will daily sweep the floors, dust the furniture shelves, and showcases. Number two, every day fill the lamps, clean chimneys, and trim wicks, wash the windows once a week. Number three, every clerk will bring a, a scuttle of coal and a bucket of water for the day's business. Number four, listen to this one. This office will open at 7 a.m. and close at 8 p.m. daily. They had an hour off for lunch, but a 12-hour workday was not unheard of at all. So they're open from 7 to 8, except for the Sabbath, on which day it will remain closed. Each employee is expected to spend the Sabbath by attending church and contributing liberally to the cause of the Lord. Boy, you'd love to see that on some walls what day, wouldn't you? Number five. Men's employees will be given an evening off each week for courting purposes or two evenings in the week if they regularly go to church. We'll make a deal there. Number six, after an employee has spent uh, 12 hours of labor in the office, he should spend time reading the Bible or other good books while contemplating the glories and building up of the kingdom. Number seven, every employee should lay aside from each pay a goodly sum of his earnings for his benefit during his declining years so that he will not become a burden on the charity of his betters. Number eight, any employee who smokes Spanish cigars, uses liquor in any form, gets shaved in a barber shop, or frequent pools and public halls will give me good reason to suspect his worth, intentions, integrity, and honesty. Yeah. And finally, number nine, the employee who has performed his labors faithfully and without fault for a period of five years in my service and has been thrifty and attentive in his religious duties and is looked on by his fellow man 
as a substantial and law-abiding citizen will be given an increase of five cents per day, providing a just return in profits from the business permits it. And then the final phrase said, be worthy of your hire. Be worthy of your hire. Do you know that back in the days of Thomas Jefferson, they went six days a week, 12 hours a day. Everybody put in 72 hours a week. And somebody at that time in the Philadelphia paper proposed maybe cutting back from 12 hours a day to 10 hours a day, and there was an uproar. What? How lazy could a society be to go down to a 10-hour day, six days a week? Well, we've gotten wimpy, haven't we? Honestly. And, and, you know, Wednesday night comes around, and I'm kind of tired from my eight-hour day, you know, as far as going to church goes. Or Sunday comes around, and we say, I put in 40 hours this week, and Sunday's my day, and blah, 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 and so on. And and we've gotten so easy on ourselves. We find the Bible gives us a mandate to work. We see, first of all, the biblical mandate. Secondly, let's talk about the boring, boring monotony of work. Look in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, if you would. The one thing about work is that it can become monotonous. It can become a ho-hum. It can become a routine. And if something is monotonous, the word mono means just one or something over and over and over again. The the one thing about work, if we don't have the right attitude about it, folks, is, oh, I'm going to do the same thing again, day in and day out, same old routine, We find here in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 the writings of the wisest man who ever lived. His name's Solomon. He was given God-given wisdom, and he used it to, I guess, just conduct this this experiment, this unique experiment to see what is the purpose of living. And so he tries this, he tries that, and he's working around the clock. He had his his faults, but I'm telling you, the guy was a, a workaholic like no man who's ever lived. And so he tries all this stuff, and he's working like crazy. And he gets to the place where he says, none of it fulfilled me, or none of that other stuff at least. He's going to change his tune toward the end of Ecclesiastes. But here in the early chapters, he's kind of bummed out, and he's kind of talking weird. And he says some things that we need to understand in context. In verse 2, he says, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. That means vain and empty and void of fulfillment. He says in verse 3, What profit hath the man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? What's the answer to that? Let's look in chapter 2. In verse one, or 11, he says, Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought or worked for, and, all, and on all the labor that I'd labored to do. And behold, it was all vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. Now, at this particular time, He evidently is feeling like it's monotonous. We see what we would call the boring monotony of work, and maybe you get to where you feel that way. Ever feel like it's uh, the same old, same old? Ladies, you're changing a diaper, and you've done it thousands of times, and you go, oh, another one, or you're cooking another meal, or, or maybe you're building another house, or you're wiring another house, or you're plumbing another house, or you're selling another house, or you're balancing the books down at work, and you've got to do it every day, day after day, and you're, you're at home, and you're sweeping the dust, and, and it just falls again, and, and uh, you're going through another thing down at the hospital, or you're washing windows, or you're cleaning teeth, or you're hiring workers, or you're, you're flying another flight, going somewhere to have another meeting, you're changing oil on another vehicle, you're teaching another class, you're doing this, and it can be, it can be preparing for another sermon for a preacher. 
It's what you do and you do it over and over and over again and, and you get to the place if your attitude's not right to where you feel it's ho-hum. Look in chapter 5 here of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 5. And notice verse number 16. Ecclesiastes 5.16. He says, And this also is a sore evil, that in all points as he came, so shall he go. And what profit hath he that hath labored for the wind? You ever feel like you've just labored for nothing? What you did, you're going to have to do it over again. What you did today, you're going to have to do tomorrow. And you can, you can slide into a dangerous groove like Solomon did here, feeling like it's such a rut. You have to do the same thing. And you're going to be in a, a, very, a, a very dangerous place in your life if you don't recognize that attitude. I think of David. Boy, David from the time he, he whooped Goliath was just a machine, just going to war, just uh, being king, just making decisions, just doing this, doing that. But he fell into a rut. He got into this place in his life where, where maybe going to war was ho-hum, it was old hat. And, and we find him in 1 Samuel, or 2 Samuel actually, staying at home at a time when kings are supposed to go to war. He's going, oh, another war. And it, it, it had gotten monotonous. And, and the word monotonous just means sameness, same old thing. And David ends up in adultery because the idle hands were the devil's workshop. And, and really, monotony is not, it's not inactivity. It's not inactivity. It's just routine. It's just something that is meaningless to you. It has no direction. And, and maybe you're a mother here, and you're swamped with work, but you're dying of boredom. You're dying of monotony. You're busy, but, but you're bored with it. You're a bored banker. You're a bored salesman. We read in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 5 this expression, our labor be in vain. Our labor be in vain. We, we find that actually three times in the New Testament. Our labor be in vain. And you get to the place where you just, because of the attitude, you say, I'm not enjoying this anymore, and what's the point? You know, Michael Jordan, who played for the Chicago Bulls and won a few different NBA rings and, and, and was called the greatest basketball player who ever lived, he quit at the height of his career. Remember that, some of you guys? I mean, he was really in his prime. And he quit. And he said, ah, I'm going to go play baseball, you know. And, and he never did make it there. And he, you know, he went back to basketball. But they asked him, why? He said, what's the point? I've been doing this since I was a little kid, dribbling a ball around, throwing up in the hoop. And it's just gotten old. There was a running back for the Vikings years ago by the name of Robert Smith. And, and I think he was like 26 or 27. And, and one of the best backs the Vikes ever had. And, and he quit in his prime. He just said, hey, what's the point? And, and there are folks and they just lose their zeal because they've done it for days. They've done it for weeks. They've done it for months. They've done it for years. And they've done it for decades. You know, I think of Moses back there tending sheep for 40 years. And every day it's the same thing. There's the sun, there's the sheep, and there's the sand. And, and he's out there and he's, he's doing the same thing for 40 years until God shows up and gives him a new assignment. And he's reluctant about fulfilling it, but he does. And so for the next 40 years, <laughs> same heat, <laughs> same people, only it's grumbling and it's complaining, and same accommodations, same outhouses, same counseling, uh, same sunrise, same challenges, same everything, and it just gets old. No question about it. 
We find that sometimes our days can be identical and the events can be the same. And, and no wonder some people at work start watching the clock or dawdling or piddling around because of the boring monotony of work if our attitude is not right. We see the biblical mandate. We see the boring monotony as it could be. But finally, let's talk about the believer's mindset. The believer's mindset when it comes to work. Thomas Edison, I think, was one of the hardest workers who ever lived. Thomas Edison is uh, responsible for over a thousand patents. And Thomas Edison, when his his old factory burned down, built this new one and realized to his dismay afterwards that the face of it with all the windows faced toward the city clock. He said he was always seeing his employees looking at the clock there, wondering what time it was. Just bugged the fire out of him. He was not a clock watcher. So he had shades put on all those windows. He had a sense of humor. And then he also had dozens of clocks put throughout his plant. None of them were on time. They're all way off time. And he said, now, forget about the clock, okay? And, and let's get to work. Let's get some work done. So we have the biblical mandate. We have the possibility of the boring monotony. But what should be the believer's mindset when it comes to work? Well, look in Colossians chapter 3, if you would. Colossians chapter 3, and we'll try and make this quick here. I heard somebody, a local businessman, uh, talking to a group of people here some years ago. Uh, He's a multimillionaire, and he's built one of the most successful businesses in town. And he said, he said, I do not hire based upon, uh, you know, uh, education even, or IQ, or, or any of that stuff, he said, but attitude. What is our attitude about work? Well, in Colossians 3, and in verse number 22, It says, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service. Don't be a clock watcher, just working when the boss is looking. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart or focus, fearing God. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. You know, as you read that passage, folks, even if it's secular work, there's a way to spiritualize it and really sanctify it, if you will. We find back in Deuteronomy 8 and verse 18, God says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth. The the vigor, the strength, the energy is God-given, even to make a living and to make money. And God is big on work, and God notices work. We find in Genesis 31, 42, Jacob says, God hath seen mine affliction and the labor of my hands. He worked for years for Laban, and God was watching that. God took note of that. God notices our work. He mentions in Revelation 2, 2, that I know thy works and thy labor. And so God notices our work, and that means God is interested in our work. In fact, God even records our work. In Hebrews 6.10, it says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. Ladies, every diaper you change, every meal you fix, men, every bike you, you fix, every time you bring home the bacon, God notices it. God rewards you for that. But also, something about work is you feel better after you've done it, don't you? If there's something that differentiates it from play and vacation and, and time off, and I'm, I'm for all those things. 
But, but they've asked men like Edison and, and Teddy Roosevelt and Carnegie and Ford and, and guys who work tirelessly, why do you keep doing it? You don't need the money. You don't need the fame. You don't need the luxuries. And they all said, no, we don't need any of that. But what we need is what, what is a byproduct of work, and that is the good feeling that comes with working. Isn't that interesting? That, that feeling of accomplishment. Now, I'm not against time off, and I'm not against vacations. I'm not against going to Valley Fair, as it were, and all that stuff. But, you know, sometimes that can be so overrated. And, and work can be so underrated. So we find that God ordains it. God notices it. God records it. God gives joy to those who do it. We read in Proverbs 31 of the, the, uh, the Proverbs 31 woman that she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. And so, do we work willingly? Will you go to work tomorrow willingly with the attitude of trying to be the very best worker where you work at? Ecclesiastes 5.19 mentions every man rejoice in his labor for this is the gift of God. It's the gift of God. God also rewards it. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. And I've often said the greatest labor on earth is going to bring the sweetest rest in heaven. I really believe that. And so we find this admonition, 2 Chronicles 15, 7, Be ye strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. And so, let me just say in closing, you're, you're not just a, an engineer. We have a number of them in the church here. You're a sanctified engineer. You're a sanctified custodian. You're a sanctified uh, realtor. You're a sanctified carpet cleaner. You're a sanctified security guard or a sanctified uh, a banker. Your job of laying carpet or being an RN or a welder or a doctor or a salesman or a landscaper, whatever it might be. Remember, it's, it's a sanctified position. And so just keep on plodding along in it and go to work tomorrow with an attitude that God actually is pro-work and God rewards your work and He notices your work and God help us to have a biblical attitude about our work. You've been listening to Pastor Tony Skeving of the Fargo Baptist Church in Fargo, North Dakota. If you would like a CD of today's message, you can obtain one by sending a gift of $2 to Fargo Baptist Church 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. That address again, Fargo Baptist Church, 3303 23rd Avenue South, Fargo, North Dakota, 58103. We hope you'll join Pastor Skeving next time right here on Pulpit Power. Pulpit Power is a production of Heaven 88.7.